0: So uh, I heard someone say this week that uh, life is a roller coaster. There's a lot of sitting down and screaming, um, which I thought was pretty funny. And I would just also add that there's uh, also some unexpected twists and turns, and probably someone's going to lose their lunch at some point, especially if you have kids. Uh, But I don't get sick that often, but I absolutely hate being sick. Which is kind of a weird thing to say because I've never met anybody that's like, yeah, I really enjoy being sick, um, but I, I really, I really hate being sick. Um, but there's a different, there's a difference between being sick and being being sick, right? There's different levels of being sick. The the first level is is what I call just being fake sick, and and this is more like psychological than physical, where you're just kind of tired and stressed, where you're upset and. You kind of just don't feel like going to work, even though you could and probably should. And you're just like, hey, you know, I should probably just stay home today because this yawn is incredibly contagious. And I just do not, I don't want that spreading around the office. And I think it's just best if I just stay home and watch Netflix and take a nap and eat some Ben and Jerry's and, uh, and you know, not not spread it to everyone else. Anybody ever called in sick to work? Before you, when you really weren't actually sick. Come on, raise your hands. A few of us. Look look around. Keep your hands up. Look around at all these sinners. All these sinners. Um, the, so, the first one's fake sick. Uh, number two is, I, I call it flu ish, um, where it's like you're achy, your head's kind of stuffed up, you're nauseous, you got that like sick breath. You know that breath you get when you're getting sick and you're just like, uh, I just don't feel hundred percent. You got some bug, and and you, honestly, you're you're legit sick, but it's not full blown. Hate your life, sick yet? Like this is the stage where everybody gives you medical advice about their secret and which you know they're, they're sort of like witch doctor potions that you should drink in order to get over the stuff or not get any worse or whatever. So then there's, there's fake sick, there's fluish, and then and then there's the I'm I'm gonna die. I, I wish I would die. I want to die. I'm going to die. You're all the way sick. You got the cold sweats. You don't get out of bed. You lose track of time. You're not really sure where you are anymore. Like you're, you're popping pills. You hate everything and everyone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you're, you're when you're really, really sick. And then the fourth level is very rare, but it's the most severe. It's called the man flu. Um, this is the most severe sickness known to humanity. It incapacitates you. It turns even the strongest among us into sniveling, pathetic children. Am, am I right, ladies? Am I right? right. It, it's basically one step below being terminal. Um, it, it makes you get your affairs in order when, like when it's over. And, and But thankfully for you ladies, it only attacks us men. Um, so be thankful. Am I right, guys? Because if they ever got as sick as we get... The world would stop spinning, but but one of the things that I tend to do is compare the 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 sickness when I'm sick to the sickest that I've ever been. Anybody ever like you've had that one time that you were so sick and like that's the thing that marks like that's the high water mark. You can't beat that one. Um, A number of years ago, when we lived in um, Las Vegas, uh, my son Jaron was just a baby and Katie was just born and. Um, And we, uh, we got, we, the day before we were supposed to go to court uh, for our adoption of our daughter, um, we ate dinner at a fast food joint and we got food poisoning. And I don't want to tell you um, what, what it, what, what place it was, but it, it it rhymes with smell daco. And, and so uh, we got super, super sick. And honestly, it was it was the worst thing I've ever experienced. Like it it was brutal. We were up all night. Like at one point, I think I like crawled across. I couldn't even stand up. I was like crawling to the bathroom and like, Uh, you know, I'm trying to give you the, like the, the, the cleaned up version. but I had no white in my eye. It was all blood red that I burst that blood vessel in my eye. And so I had no, I had no white in my eye. It was all blood red. Um, And the only upside was like a few days later, it was Halloween. And so I legit put a sheet on and cut out an eye and like, I was just this red eye thing for Halloween. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, but but we have this, tendency, have this tendency when we're sick to to need to diagnose it, like to to figure out what happened to us, to to get to the root of it, to figure out who gave it to us and why did we get sick and what caused it, and so so that we can try to figure out a treatment plan and avoid avoid it happening all together and we have this really strong physical reaction especially if you were like nauseous and puking anytime you're around that like sight or smell or that thing that that got you sick like or anything even related to it like anybody know what i'm talking about where like you just like oh it just turns your stomach like i can't think about i mean it's been like 18 years and i would i still would not eat at del taco to this day because it just the thought of it makes me sick yeah because being sick is the worst i mean you feel so helpless but but do, you, do but do you remember the first time that you realized that life was kind of messed up, and and that the world was sick? I mean, depending on where you grew up, and especially in our culture, um, we can kind of be shielded from some of this stuff in a way, at least for a while. I, I love personality profile stuff, um, and, and one of my favorite. Um, uh, test is the Enneagram test. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which means basically I'm just a party waiting to happen. Like, just give me a place and I'm ready. I'm ready to party. And like me and Naomi, she's a seven, like we're always ready to party. Um, and, and I, am an eternal optimist. Like my natural outlook is to see all the promise and the possibilities in every situation I, instead of seeing the struggles and the obstacles, but, but have you ever had that like punch to the gut feeling that something just wasn't quite right with the world? I mean, it usually starts with our own pain and loss, right? But as we get older, the brokenness of life starts to sort of flood in whether it's injustice or hatred or violence or disease or hunger or abuse or whatever. Right. And to survive, we kind of have to shut ourselves off to a lot of that. And to just kind of keep to our life and our story. But the truth is, we all have moments in our lives that don't seem to have a purpose. They don't fit with the story of how our life was supposed to go. There doesn't really even seem to be a reason that any of it happened. Kind of like what happened to these two guys. Take a look. Where's the booze? I got robbed by a sweet old lady on a motorized cart not even see it. Come on! Oh. Harry? No. Harry? No. Come oh. on, Harry. You're up. A... It gets worse, Lloyd. My parakeet, Petey? Huh? He's dead. Oh. Oh, man. I'm sorry, Harry. What happened? His head fell off. Yeah, it was pretty old. Oh, that's it! I've had it with this dump. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's not a lot of churches around showing Dumb and Dumber clips this morning, uh, but it's so good. Like, but but, and it's great. as what you know, hilarious. But, but look, when you lose your job or you can't make ends meet, it's not as funny. Or when your pet's head falls off, like it's not that, that funny. Um, but then there's these really big moments in our life where this relational explosion goes off and sort of rips our life apart. When our parents got divorced or when we got divorced or when the one that we loved and depended on died or when the diagnosis came back. And, and then there's other times where it just feels like life... It, it just like a, 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 it's like death by a thousand cuts. Or you lose the house, the death of a dream, the thing that you chase so hard after, the thing that you just wanted, and it just doesn't materialize. And, and this is the tension of the world that we live in, isn't it? Right, where our our days can simultaneously build, be filled with highs and lows, with joy and pain, and, and life eventually calls all of our numbers. And we all have all of these experiences that leave us asking and maybe even sometimes shouting, why, why is this happening? Why does this thing, why do I have to go through this thing? So what do we do when life falls apart? Well, what do we do when it feels like like God is just MIA, like he's nowhere to be found? How do we reconcile a good and just and loving God with all of the pain and brokenness in the world? Now, as we get into this series, and here's my confession that these messages, I, I think, will fall just short in answering all the big questions in your heart about your life and about the world. I, I, I would love to be able to answer all those questions. I would love to be able to think that somehow, but but I, I, just, I just know that the nature of the human soul and the way that we search, and I, I just think that... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall just short. I'm going to fall short of satifi- satisfying that one complaint that you have with God or about Christianity. Partly because I'm not smart enough, but mostly because there are really big, really deep questions that don't have easy answers. They have answers, but not easy ones. And one of my least favorite things about growing up in church is that all the trite, cliche slogans that get kind of thrown around at people when they're really struggling or when they're really hurting or when they're really suffering... And everything is reduced to a not so clever bumper sticker statement. And I would never ever want to insult you or insult God by peddling that stuff here or pushing that stuff on you. Because sometimes life just feels like you're in the middle of a season of breaking bad, right? And like everything's going wrong and you have no idea where it's going and you don't know where the story's going, but you just need to know that, you, that, that we get it. There's people here that get it, that you're not alone, and I, and what I do want to do is kind of spur conversation between you and God and between you and the people in your life. And I do want to challenge you to think and to wrestle. I do want to give you some handles to grab onto in these conversations so that hopefully you don't feel so lost in all of it and you're able to find your way through and know that God sees you and meets you right where you are. Because we certainly aren't the first ones to wrestle with these questions They've plagued humanity for thousands of years. And you'd think that when it comes to this stuff or when it when it comes to the things, when things aren't good between you and God, that when you'd look into the scriptures that full of pages that actually echo with him. But the truth is, is that when you begin to read the scriptures, that it's full of pages that actually echo our part of the struggle. In the Old Testament, there's a small book that was written by a, na- a man named Habakkuk, and Habakkuk was a minor prophet, which doesn't mean that he doesn't mean that he was less important than other prophets. Um, the, the, a lot of the prophetic books in the Bible are broken up into major, minor, and the major ones just mean that they're really long. They had a lot to say. There was a lot to the story. The minor ones are just shorter. Um, But here's what's interesting is that while most of the prophets in the Old Testament spoke to people on behalf of God, when you read the book of Habakkuk, when you listen to his story, Habakkuk actually spoke to God on behalf of people. And, And he did so because he didn't really like what God was doing. He cried out to or almost really at God because of the pain and the suffering and the evil and the injustice that he saw everywhere he looked. And so I want to take a few minutes and read a little bit of his story as we start to try to unpack, what do we do when life is falling apart? And so in Habakkuk chapter one, verses two to four, uh, if you have a Bible and want to open there, you want to use the UVersion app, you can do that. Otherwise, the scriptures will be on the screen. It says this, this is what Habakkuk says. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. And I got to admit, when I first read that, like this dude must be raising teenagers. He's (laughs) surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Uh, verse four, he says, the laws become paralyzed. There's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. See, this guy, he's got the same problems with God that I've had, and, and maybe you have. Like, you don't really seem to care, God. Why are you allowing, like, do, are you paying attention? Do you see the things that are going on? Why are you allowing all of this? It doesn't really seem fair. And if I'm being honest, it doesn't seem like you're doing much about anything. You've ever been there? You ever felt like that? Could, could we just have a moment of honesty where, where have, have you ever felt like if you were God, you would do some things differently. Would you just raise your hand? Like if you were God, you would do some things differently. Yeah, uh, uh, of course. And the rest of you are liars. (laughs) Because of course you've had that moment right? Because one of the fundamental things, whether you believe in God or you're a follower of Jesus, when life begins to fall apart, one of the fundamental questions that humanity has to wrestle with is, is and when it comes down to this stuff is, am, are we better than God? Do we care more about ourselves and other people and the world more than God does? And if so, then I can't follow you or worship you because you're not worth it. And if not, then what, where are you? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you doing something about this? And so like we talked about last week, God, God doesn't condemn, and this is what I, I love about Habakkuk, is God doesn't condemn him for his questions or his emotion or his doubt. And, and if you've ever questioned God, then, then this guy Habakkuk is your guy, he's your man, because he's totally honest about what he feels. And the truth is, the longer that we're a believer and the longer that we're a church attender, the more we tend to give God our cleaned up, tidied up, censored versions of our prayers as if he doesn't actually know our hearts. But not Habakkuk, not this guy. In fact, his name actually gives him away because his name actually means to embrace and to wrestle two things that seem to be at odds with one another, but he's doing everything he can to embrace who he believes and knows God to be, but he's also wrestling with the aspects of what he's experienced, of what's going on in his life and the life of the people he loves, and he's wrestling with those things that don't line up with what he believes about God. He's embracing, and what, what a powerful image to embrace and wrestle. There there should be healthy doses of both in our life because if you just fully embrace and you never wrestle with the really big questions, right, then you you, you end up with a faith that, that feels hollow and empty to people because it just feels like you're just being fake. But, but if, if all you do is wrestle and you never embrace the goodness and the bigness and the sovereignty and the, and the power of God and just allow for that to be what rings true in your life, then you end up, well, you end up cynical and angry and bitter to embrace and wrestle. But what I want you to see is that God God doesn't, God's there for him to actually talk to him. And God is there for you to be able to talk to him. God is not distant or indifferent to your difficulties and your defa- and your despair. He's not distant from any of that. That he's right there and that you can begin to speak to him, to cry out to him, to even cry at him. When it comes to the pain and the problems in our world and in our lives, he's not somewhere else. He's not otherwise preoccupied. He's right there with us. He's just a breath away, sometimes just an angry questioning prayer away. So does God respond to Habakkuk? Well, let's read the first part of it because he does. In verse five, he says this. says, the Lord replied, look around at the nations, Look around and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day. Something you wouldn't believe, even if, you told, even if I told you about it, right? Even if someone told you about it. He's going, I'm about to blow your mind. And, and that's more like it, right? Like, this is exactly what we want to hear. We're like, yes, that's what I'm talking about, God. Like, yes, it's about time. This is where, if you're a follower of Jesus, we then act like we believed all along. Like I knew it, God, I knew you'd come through. I was a doubt thing, I was just messing around. I knew you wouldn't let me down. We bust out and we're all into worship. Feel the darkness shaking. All the dead are coming back to life, back to life. And we got like dance moves and woo, you know, we're like doing the shimmy and and it's amazing. But there's a second part to what God says that's not so exciting, and honestly, it seems out of place. And before I get there, it's so out of place, and it's so like it it it, it will send you it's like will send you for a loop. Like I, before we even get there, and what God's about to, the life of Jesus that I believe speaks to this stuff because I think it'll help us understand what God's about to say to Habakkuk in verse six. See, because Jesus wasn't a stranger to pain and suffering. In fact, the prophet Isaiah called Jesus, he referred to him as the man of sorrows, which um, I don't know about you, but that's not really a label I, I want for my life, especially as a seven. And I want to be labeled as the man of joy, the man of happiness, the man of party. Like I, I that's what I want. Nobody's like, you know, I really just want to be known as the man of sorrows. Like no one's, no one's like that. But Jesus walked through the darkest parts of the human experience. And in fact, he knew exactly this moment that Habakkuk's talking about. And we know this because when the scriptures tell us when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Why have you forsaken me? Why am I all alone? Why have you left me here to deal with this? When you read through the life of Jesus, everywhere he went, everything he taught, everything he talked about, every miracle he did, we see him referring to the fact that he was bringing this thing that he called the kingdom of heaven. And so I wanna take you to a place in Matthew chapter five and uh, read some verses to you. The first 10 verses of Matthew five says this. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are Now, did you catch some of the moments that he's talking about when he says, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit, when when your heart is broken and you literally have no spirit left? The Hebrew word for spirit also means breath or wind. Have you had that moment in your life where life knocked the wind out of you, like out of your soul, out of your belief, out of your faith? Or maybe like we talked about a few minutes ago where, where it's just death by a thousand cuts, a long, slow process of life sort of bleeding you of your spirit. And he says, you're blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Have you, have you been, ever been so devastated by loss and pain that not only could you not help but cry, but you, you just full-on ugly cried. Like you just wept and bawled Well, you were just a little bit sad, but you mourned and you grieved. And he says, you'll be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness meaning rightness. Have you ever looked at the world or just looked at your life or looked at the relationships and the people around you and you held out hope that somehow, some way things would be put right? But then you put that hope in a spouse or a pastor or a leader or a religion And you really believed and you really longed for things to be right. You really longed for the good. And and it just feels like all you did was set yourself up to be let down. And now you're a little bit cynical or maybe a lot. And you hear Jesus say the words that you're blessed when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. But it just feels more like a curse. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Have you ever longed for peace? Have you ever tried and tried to make peace with life, with someone you love, but you just found out like the harder that you worked for it, the less it seemed to come. So, so what is Jesus doing here? He See, I, I think what he's doing is he's taking us into this reality that the brokenness that we see around us, the pain of life, the mess of life, wasn't God's original plan. I, I think Jesus has this idea this reality the kingdom of this world same coexisting in the same universe that there's this reality the kingdom of this world where the things that we can see and touch and experience and this kingdom is broken and jacked up and you and I have plenty of experiences with this kingdom and that's really honestly the place that Habakkuk is coming from right But Jesus knows, and Jesus sees another reality, and it's more real than the cheeseburgers that we're going to have for lunch in just a few minutes. And this is the reality that God intends. A reality where the good and the right, those things really do exist, where this life and this kingdom gives way to God's life and God's kingdom. Jesus seems to be offering us an invitation to a certain kind of life, a life where the most painful places in our lives become the pathway that move us toward the very life that God created us to live, towards his kingdom, towards that thing that is beautiful and good and joyful and right. So If you were here last week, you heard me mention this, and you've been around, you, you know a little bit of our story in 2016, my stepmom was murdered, and a few months later, my nephew died out of the blue, and it was really, really difficult. And, and so we spent the, about a year and a half after my stepmom was murdered, going to um, hearings and trials, and like you just feel all kinds of stuff when when we sat feet away from the young man that that killed her, and um, and and when they got ready to he ended up eventually taking a plea deal and when they got ready to sentence him you know uh, he had another victim as well from the day before and um and so my family was all there and the other victim's family was there and people got to stand up and and address the court when before they before the judge sentences him and and, and it was so emotionally intense and people like saying the most ridiculous horrible things to this man as he sat there and like part of me like understood all of it like i cuz i felt all those things um and but one of the things that happened all through the all through the the trial and the preliminary hearings and all that stuff um really after the first couple of hearings the only people that would come to support him was his grandparents and his grandparents came they would shuffle in every single time um and i remember the very first time like we realized these people are related to that man. And like, we got on the elevator together and like, I just had this overwhelming sense of like, I hate these people because they're so connected to him. And that was, but over the course of all these hearings, um, we started to kind of get to know them a little bit. And one time we were all waiting to go in and they would sit down and all these people that knew my stepmom and my family, they would come. And so we had this huge contingency of people that would show up every time to, to support her and my dad. And, um, and, and, and his, parent, his grandparents would sit down there by themselves. And until one day, my wife, I looked up, I'm looking for my wife. I looked down there and she's kneeling in front of his grandma and they're crying together and they're hugging and they're praying. And and it was this beautiful, incredible moment. Well, fast forward all this time, and and a couple weeks ago, we're driving in the car, and my and my wife says, "Hey, I didn't tell you because I you know, I don't know how you feel about it, and like you tend to just like, okay, it's over. I'm not gonna think about it anymore, and you know, just move on." She's like, "But um, she's like, I've been I've been talking to William King's grandma um, every couple of weeks on the phone." And I was like, "What?" And she's like, yeah, and, um, and I sent him a letter. I'm like, you sent who a letter? William King. I'm like, how come you, like, I got some things to say. <laughs> she's like, yeah, but in the letter, I just told him that I forgive him. And that I, I love. I want, I want for him to experience God's love. <clears throat> and I was like, well, I would I would have said that, too. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I'm a pastor, all right? I, <clears throat> See, <clears throat> there hasn't been a darker, harder period in our life. But somehow, I can tell you this stuff is true. Because God has used those things to bring about something more beautiful and powerful and more real than the pain and brokenness of what's happened to us. See, when Jesus... Says things like, Blessed are the peacemakers, or when you hunger and thirst for what's right. He's taking the bitter and the dark and the hardest parts of the human experience, the most disappointing places that we come to in the world, and he uses them as stepping stones to the kingdom of God, to the way that things are supposed to be. And he's not saying it's simple or it's easy. He's not denying the mess or the pain. He's just saying there is a way forward, that what happened to you may not have made sense, that there there seems to be no purpose, but if you will trust me, I can bring purpose to what happened to you. You can embrace what could be and should be while wrestling with what is. You can embrace faith And where God is leading you while wrestling with the path that he's using to take you there. Which brings us back to Habakkuk and the rest of God's response. And this is what God said. Check it out in verse 6 of chapter 1. So God just said, I'm about to blow your mind. But before we get there, this is what he says. I am raising up the Babylonians who are a cruel and violent people. And they will march across the world and conquer other lands. Wait what? Feel the dark. What? <laughs> and what? And then God spends the next few verses explaining how scary and terrible it's going to be. And like us, Habakkuk's really confused. Wait, I, I thought I thought you said things were going to get better. So so it's not going to get fixed today. But why? Well, why? I don't understand. And that's not exactly the answer that he wanted. And, and, and next week when we get into the next part, what we're going to begin to see is that God is unfolding something really incredible. But he leaves, even though God's saying, I'm about to do something, and this is what's going to happen, it leaves Habakkuk going, but why? I, do, I still don't understand. Because the truth is, even if you and I have the perspective that Jesus was talking about, it still doesn't answer all the questions of Why? Because b- b- both here in, ha- in Habakkuk and in Jesus's teachings, I got bad news. God always seems to bypass that question of why, but he doesn't do it because he doesn't care. It's because he's trying to have a much more important conversation with us than why is this happening? See, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. See, I think part of what he's saying when he's talking about this kingdom of God thing is that if we could see what he's doing, if we could see what he's building, we would trade everything to get a hold of it. There's nothing that we wouldn't go through or experience or or possess that that could compare to the world that God is trying to build and invite us into. That these hard moments, we would actually choose to walk right through them. We wouldn't run from them. We wouldn't run from the dark or the painful stuff because when we're following Jesus, our greatest points of cost bring us to the places of greatest value that's anchored to a kingdom is a completely different resource of hope that's anchored to a kingdom and to a reality that cannot be touched, that's so strong, it can't be messed with when life falls apart. See, I, I think if you and I had those kinds of resources of hope, if you and I set our sights in that direction, if we realize that every disappointment is a chance to reorient our hope around a kingdom, that it, it, uh, the kingdom of heaven, it would change us. And it's not a denial of the mess because it certainly doesn't insulate us from the pain and the failure and disappointment of life. It doesn't even answer or satisfy all the questions, but we would find deeper resources that run below those foundations in the moment when the foundations of our life are shaken. This isn't about magic prayers or Christian cliches or unicorns that we ride off into heaven. It's about a foundation to a faith that's gritty and tough and resilient and will last and stand through no matter what life brings your way. See, sometimes we get stuck thinking that God's goal is to fix our circumstance, but he's he's not trying to fix our circumstance most of the time. He's trying to teach us that hope lies in different places than we normally look. Hope lies in different places than we normally turn to there's a there 's a statement i 've heard many times and i in my ignorance and stupidity as a young person, I would say, and maybe you 've heard it, and maybe you 've even said it, and if you 've said it, please stop saying this that God will never give you more than you can handle and, and While people mean well when they say that it 's just not true um, because how many people have ever been through something that was bigger? than you could handle. I have. I, I, here's the thing. God never gives us anything he can't handle, but he, he allows us to go through stuff that we can't handle all the time. I, I've been through some pretty big stuff, and you have too, stuff that was too big for me, but God often allows us to go through those things because it causes us to depend on him. The weird thing is that that statement actually comes from like it's loosely based on a verse that's not even about that. And the verse is about temptation, which is that God's not gonna allow us to get stuck in temptation, but when we're tempted, he always gives us a way out. And and somehow that morphed into, God will never give you more than you can handle. And it's just not true. It causes us in those moments to lean into him and to rely on our brothers and sisters, to rely on other people. That's why that 's why we often talk about all the time here how important it is to stay connected to community, even when life is hurt, even when life hurts and it 's one of the things that we dive into pretty big um, in discover. We talked about that a little while ago, and so what I wanna, what I want to invite you to do this morning, what I want to kind of end and challenge you with is this is that if you came last week and you came this week, this is amazing like just just give us two more weeks because there, there, there's some stuff coming that I think you don't wanna miss. And here's the truth. If you're in the middle of brokenness and pain, if you're in the middle of struggle, the, the, the great thing about this series and about what we read so far is Habakkuk's story isn't over, but neither is yours. And I'm, I don't know you and I, I may not know you all that well. I may not know everything about your story. I may not know everything about your relationship, but here's what I know. is that what God is trying to do in your life. He's trying to get you to trust him. He's trying to move you to the point where you can say, where you can look at any circumstance in your life and be like, God, I don't always understand you. I don't always get it. I'm not always excited about it, but I do trust you. David, King David wrote these words that God is close to the brokenhearted that he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus, later on in the book of Matthew, quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says these words that a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You know what that means? is that God's not looking for the weak place in your life, the pain in your life, and just to put, because a bruised wheat, right? Where the reed is bruised, it's weak there, it can just be snapped in half. He's not looking to squeeze it and push in. A, no, 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 no. God's wanting to bring healing to that area of your life so that you're stronger than you were before. That, that, that if, if your light and your life is just sort of smoldering, like it used to be this burning flame, your faith used to burn so bright, but you've been through so much that you're just scuffling and trying to, and it's just smoldering. And it, I just want you to know, God's not coming along just to snuff it out and be like, all oh, right, fine, moving on. Like that, that's, no, 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 no. He's gonna get down and he's gonna, he's gonna work that flame back into a fire. He wants to stoke that Life and that love and that faith in your life till it becomes a flame again and so if you 're here this morning we 're going to pray in a second, I just want to invite you to pray with me and if you 're struggling or going through something difficult, um, please allow as we pray, please open your heart and just allow God to begin to minister to you as we pray together we 're going to be done in just just a few minutes, but before we get there um, before we pray, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, we just want you to know like that is the best thing you can ever do with your life. Like following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. Following Jesus brings you uh, this strength and all that, those resources of hope that we were talking about brings that into your life in the middle of the darkest circumstances. And so when we pray in a minute, I just wanna invite you no matter where you're at, if you're not a believer in this moment to just open your heart and begin to have a conversation with him as I pray. Because he hears you like he hears me. And, you just, and just be honest, you can be like Habakkuk. God, I don't get it. I'm not happy. I'm so frustrated. Where are you? I'm gonna, try, I'm gonna try to trust you. And I'm just gonna ask you to come and meet me in this place and let your love and your life and your truth and your hope flood into my soul. And if that's you, um, in your seat, there's an I said yes card. And we just want to be able to pray with you and help you and come alongside you. And so as we pray, if you're going to open your heart to Jesus, we'd love to know about it. We'd love to meet with you. And so if you'd, tear, fill out that card, tear it off in the bottom and drop it in the offering bucket in a little while. Uh, One of us, one of our team will reach out to you this week. Um, And it's not to try to get you to do anything. It's just simply to say, Hey, God loves you. We're here for you. How can we help you? Here's what this means. Let's pray together.